The Bob Murphy Show, episode 72. you gonna do get ready for another episode of the bob murphy show the podcast promoting free markets free minds and grateful souls it's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a christian and economist now here's your host bob murphy welcome everyone to another episode of the bob murphy show another good one for you here I'm going to be talking with Dan Sanchez about his article that was very provocative where he explains what the Joker could learn from Jordan Peterson. And some people might say, oh, that sounds goofy. Trust me, it's awesome stuff. In fact, you know it's good because as soon as I posted it on social media, I was immediately attacked by various people. So it's got to be something important there to warrant such an immediate smackdown. Um, As far as Dan's formal background... Let me read from his bio here. He's the Director of Content at the Foundation for Economic Education, or FEE, and the Editor-in-Chief of FEE.org. He co-hosts the weekly web show FEECast, serving as the resident explainer. Dan's a prolific essayist, having written widely on economics, politics, foreign policy, education, and self-improvement. In addition to his FEE archive, his work has been published by The Mission, the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, David Stockman's Contra Corner, and many other popular websites. He wrote a weekly column for antiward.com as well. Dan also, he and I knew each other back in Mises Institute days. Dan was instrumental in getting um, the, what's called the Mises Academy up and running, and he was you know helping me when I was a professor there launching some of those courses. And we, we talk a little bit about that in the beginning of the interview. Let me also mention... I said this before, but some of these interviews I'm going to be putting on my YouTube channel. So this is one of them that I did have the video for as well. So if you're hearing the audio of this and you want to see the video, I'll have a link. So go to bobmurphyshow.com slash 72 for links for all the information, but also to see the video link if you want to watch the video of my conversation. Without further ado, here is my discussion with Dan Sanchez about The Joker and Jordan Peterson. Well, Dan, welcome to the Bob Murphy Show. It's great to be here. So can you, before we jump into the specifics of this episode and why I had you on, can you just give a brief bio for the you know the listeners as to you know who you are and, when, and what your, your history has been and, and how you are, where you are right now? Sure, Bob. Um, actually, my, my history uh, in the current work I'm doing actually starts with you. <laughs> I remember the the first project I ever had as sort of a professional promoter of free market economics and libertarian philosophy was to organize a business cycle course that that you taught online, and so so that that was that's always held a special place in my heart. And since then, I've I've continued to do a lot of free market and uh, libertarian education, and with organizing things like the like online schools and then mostly as an editor and so mm-hmm. so I'm currently the editorial director at the Foundation for Economic Education or director of content but mostly it's editorial work uh, so fee.org is is the website that I oversee so what what we do is we we publish 
articles that um, especially explain to young people the values of, of freedom, of a free society, and of personal responsibility. Great. And yeah, I, I do remember not you bring that up. You wrote this, I don't know if you remember, Dan, but you wrote this long email when you were like picked as the person to help with that business cycle class. And you wrote this long thing about, you know, and this is the tradition, as Mises said in his private seminar, or something like that. And it was like, it really was humbling. And it kind of made me snap out of my, you know, funk or like, oh, my coffee was screwed up today or whatever. And I was like, oh, wow, this kid's really into it. You know, <laughs> We're doing important stuff here. I, I should uh, have a bigger perspective. Um, so, so yeah, so, so why I want you here for this episode is um, I saw your article that you wrote saying that, you know, the Joker could use Jordan Peterson, you know, to, to help counsel him through his difficulties. And so, so maybe I think the logical starting point is, so I have seen the Joker movie just as we were chatting before we started recording here. It turns out you haven't seen the Joker movie, but obviously in your article, you know very well the the comic on which it was based. So can you maybe just talk a little bit about that aspect of it? Just the, the Joker. So, so some people have seen the movie and some haven't, but certainly the, the background in terms of the comic book. Sure. So yeah, I hadn't seen the movie, but I saw a lot of the controversy around the movie, especially around people being afraid that the even before the movie came out, that it would glorify resentful males, especially white males, committing mass murder. And so it made me curious to go back and read one of the classic comics. Um, I'm, I'm a big comic book fan. Mm -hmm. And um, there's an origin story of the Joker that really goes into detail of his motivation and his worldview. And so that's really what the article is about. Like it's, it's prompted by interest in the character from the movie, but really it's an exploration of this comic book because it's a very classic explanation of the Joker's motivations, but it also has a lot of truth to it about real life villains, real life monsters, real life mass killers, and what, uh, especially what Jordan Peterson says is often the motivation. Mm -hmm. it, just as an aside, I mean, so I did see the movie and there was one part about, I can't remember when, I want to say like an hour into it, when I did feel a tiny twinge of discomfort and it, it all, and I, I could at least understand why someone might think, oh, is this kind of showing, like, is this trying to get us to root for the Joker? You, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so, so, but I don't think that's what they were trying. I think it was more like, you know, trying to understand where he's coming from. And this is, and I think any good origin story, that's the whole, like, you're trying to see how, the, the person we know is the, is the Joker. How does he start out as a quote, normal person and then turn into that? I mean, that's what an origin story does. And people, I mean, for one thing, they're, there wasn't a lot of mass murder. I mean, John Wick kills way more people and he's a white male, you know, and, and John Wick is presented as way cooler than, I mean, so this movie, it's, you wouldn't want to be the Joker is what I'm getting at. This movie is not saying this would be cool. Whereas I think people watching John Wick, a lot of them would be like, yeah, if I could do that, that would be, you know, he's, he doesn't take crap from anybody, you know? So, um, or James Bond or whatever person you want to put in there, people in the fast and the furious. So it is weird to me. And you, I think you even, partly gave it away when you said before the movie came out, people were saying this. I think, yeah, people just knew that was the script they were going to use. So I can see why the director of that movie was sort of caught surprised and like, what are you talking about? I'm not glorifying. I'm just, you know, some, 
So, so there, there is that element that I think part of it was just for some reason, people wanted to be outraged by this and they knew they were going to be outraged, whatever was actually in the film. Um, so, so I guess maybe can you speak a little bit then about, so how in the comic book version, at least, and I guess I'll, I'll say something if it sounds like they, the movie took it in a different direction, but what, where did the Joker come from? It wasn't just, he was, came out of his mother's womb is, you know, determined to kill anybody who was resembling a winged creature. <laughs> Yeah, um, he at least the way that his memories in the comic book portray it, that he started out as an ordinary man, um, that he was struggling to make it as a stand up comedian. And he was trying to make a better life for his wife uh, and his growing family because his wife was going to have a baby. But he was failing. And so he was really struggling with humiliation and frustration and feeling trapped in poverty. And so in that regard, that there is sort of a lot of application to real life problems because there are a lot of people who uh, feel trapped and who feel resentful. And sometimes that does drive people to self-destructive behaviors and maybe at the extreme, destructive behaviors. But specifically, as Jordan Peterson says, it really matters on how you respond to your struggles, uh, to your suffering, to the tragedy in your life. Because so Joker does have like intense tragedy. Um, he ends up trying to commit a crime, trying to help criminals commit a crime so that he can get a payday out of it and try to escape his life of poverty. But then the the heist goes bad and he ends up falling into a vat of chemicals, just like in the uh, 80s Batman movie, and um, and emerges looking like an insane clown and then starts acting like one. So can, can I ask you just a point of clarification? In the comic, is it Batman that throws him in the vat or not? He is running from Batman and then he jumps okay. in the vat to escape Batman. Okay, because that's something that in the new Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix, the Joker's older than Bruce Wayne. Like, like the timeline is not, whereas like, I, I know like you're saying in, in the, what is that, Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson? Is that the one where yeah. Batman makes Joker and then Joker comes back and, and says, you know, you created me. And then he says, well, you created me, you know, that kind of stuff too. But right. yeah, so that 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 element is is not, maintained in, in this one that J Joker turns into Joker when Bruce Wayne's still a little kid in the movie. I see. Yeah. in this new one, just, yeah, just to mention that for the listeners. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it isn't so much, um, I, I would imagine that it's not so much as resenting Batman and it really isn't so much resenting Batman specifically in the comic book either. It's more resenting society. So he, jo Joker talks about the injustice of life mm -hmm. and resenting existence itself. And so Joker very explicitly embraces nihilism in the comic book. Like it's very clear in his, in his dialogue that that is his motivation for doing the awful things that he does. And the way he portrays it is that he actually chooses insanity as a rational adaptation to the insanity of reality. Um, yeah. Can, so can I ask you, so for example, in Heath Ledger's Joker, you know, there's the famous, did you see that one? Yes. Okay. So there was the, you know, the, the great scene where he's in the hospital room. I think I'm getting the scene right. 
maybe I'm getting, but where he's saying something like, you know, as according to the plan, there could be all kinds of violence and it's fine. Nobody cares, but you threaten the mayor and everybody freaks out. You know, I'm, I'm mm. botching the line, but you know, what I'm talking about where, where like, so in other words, the Joker actually does have some good points, you know, I mean, he's, he's nuts and it's like, okay, but that doesn't, it doesn't follow. Therefore you can go around killing innocent people because of that. But he does put his finger on the hypocrisy of the establishment and the way the world works. So is is that in the comics too? Like, does he actually make some good critiques of what normal people think? And it's like, why are you so mad at me as a criminal when you know you vote for these politicians who commit ten times the crime that I do? Well, there's this one line where he talks about how there have been cases where the world almost ended because of like a flock of birds being misinterpreted to be like a missile launch and so a nuclear retaliation almost happened i'm not i'm not that's that's what he says in the comic book i'm not sure if that actually ever happened in real life but he he, if i just stop you real quick there is something dan where i know because i'm reading um was it daniel ellsberg uh, his book on this stuff and apparently when they first got the system up and running and they were like showing, you know, like like an early warning system about incoming Soviet missiles. Mm-hmm. And they had like the executives from, I think it was IBM, that because some of their hardware was involved, mm-hmm. come to tour. And all of a sudden, like the red lights are going off right when they turn the thing on. And they like, you know, the generals are ushering these CEOs or whatever, like into a side room. Cause, and it turned out it was, they were picking up the moon. Like the, um, you know, like the, the oh. so that they... It was bouncing off the moon and like for some reason they didn't correctly account for that or something. Yeah. And so they they thought the moon was like incoming ICBMs or something. And fortunately, they just said it, it was like in the computer was saying something. I'm making this number, but it was something like 95 percent certainty that there's incoming, you know, incoming Soviet first strike. And fortunately, they knew enough to say, what are the chances that as soon as we turn on the system, the Soviets happen to be attacking us? That's probably a false alarm. But yeah, so I don't know about the flock of birds. But yeah, that is true that there were times when the humans just had to ignore the system because they realized this can't be right and we don't want to end the world. Right, right. And so you you look at things like that happening and it shows that there is where we think we see order that there is actually underlying chaos. And so the Joker especially in the in the Christopher Nolan movies really is an agent of chaos and and so he he believes that it it seems like he believes that chaos is is all there is and that he's trying to make a prove a point about that. And and there's some aspect of that in this comic book. I haven't even mentioned the title yet. It's called The Killing Joke. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's by Alan Moore. And it's from uh, Alan Moore, by the way, is also the uh, creator of The Watchmen, the comic book that the movie was mm-hmm. based on. And, um, and also the creator of V for Vendetta, which is originally a comic book as well. And so in uh, The Killing Joke, the, the Joker, the, the, there is some sort of like, you know, the, the order that you see is not real, but n- not just in society, but in, in the universe that, that he just, like I said, thinks of the universe as mad and, and pointless. And so, again, he, he adopts insanity as a response to that. And he thinks that that's the way that everyone should be. And so he actually tries to make a point of it by kidnapping the character of Commissioner Gordon. And he tells him that, you know, one bad day drove me to madness as a rational response to the madness of the, of the universe. Like, I'm going to give you one bad day and you're going to see the same thing and, and you're going to be just like me. It, it, so is part of the context there, like 
stop judging me because it's just my circumstances and you you think you're a moral you're morally superior but let me show you you would be me if if you had had my background exactly yes mm-hmm. okay so is that I don't, I don't know if i interrupted you or you were done with your your point so is he i guess to, to just finish the train of thought there so i i know from your article it doesn't you know, Gordon doesn't turn into an archer. It's not like, oh, and that's where the Riddler came from. That's not what happens. <laughs> right. Right. And, and that is a little bit different from the Nolan movie because the Joker is actually able to turn a good man, the um, district attorney, Harvey Dent, into an insane supervillain. He turns him into, into Two-Face. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he, he isn't able to turn Gordon in this comic book. And in fact, after... Batman rescues him. Gordon insists that when Batman takes in the Joker, that he do it by the book. That that he he doesn't call for vengeance. Um, he he doesn't want Joker to be executed on the spot. He wants to, him to be taken by the book and in an orderly way processed through the the justice system. And so so then Batman reports to Joker how much he failed. That that he's wrong. That. People don't need to give in to nihilism and resentment when they face even the worst tragedy. And that really, it's, it's on him. It's, it's Joker's own failings uh, that, that he did do that. It would have been amazing if at that moment the Joker gives a Rothbardian critique of the criminal justice system and saying, Commissioner Gordon gets paid through systematic theft. So I just want to... <laughs> You know, you guys are sitting here being all high and mighty, and you know I'm sure Wayne Enterprises also benefits from IP law, which is illegitimate. That's right. That's right. Um, so why don't we bring in Jordan Peterson at this point? So can you like we're gonna merge the two, but just as you know, as a separate thing for a second. I know you you know a lot about Jordan Peterson. Can you speak a little bit about that? Like, have you ever seen him live or anything? I, I know Brit- Brittany has Brittany Hunter. I know you're f- friends with her working at Fee. Yeah, I think I w- she's gone and seen him. I, w- I went to the same event. A, a bunch of okay, a whole contingent mm-hmm. from Fee went and saw Jordan Peterson and actually gave him a a, a bag full of uh, Fee books. Oh, okay. And so that's why you're now all undying supporters of the patriarchy. <laughs> so joking aside, yeah. So can you for I mean I know people have heard of him, but on the off chance, some listeners actually, yeah, I don't, I don't, so some about pronouns. I don't know what that guy is. Some guy from Canada. What, what's, if you had to sum up Jordan Peterson and what he's trying to do, what would you say? Sure. So his book that he wrote back in the nineties is called maps of meaning. And so his work is largely centered around meaning and like how we view life. And so he talks a lot about order versus chaos and how these big ideas manifest themselves in uh, the stories that we tell, the myths that we ha- have in society and in the way we think about things. And so he talks a lot about fiction and mythology and religion, and he often applies it to people's uh, individual lives. So he, he kind of has a reputation as a self-help guru, mm-hmm. um, but but then he also talks a bit about politics too. And um, especially because that he sees the way that we see politics as really being detrimental to the way we live our individual lives. And that's where he gets uh, that. That's where people find him to be controversial, that, that certain people, uh, especially um, 
when he first came to prominence, he was talking about pronouns of different sexual orientations and what pronouns you use when addressing it. But, but specifically, it was a, a law that was being passed in Canada at the time, because he's Canadian, like mandating certain kinds of speech. And so it, it wasn't like a, a culture war attack on the very idea of using uh, different pronouns. It was more of a free speech standing up for free speech mm-hmm. thing that he did. And uh, that's what first lifted him to prominence. And so that's what first got him on the radar of a lot of people. And so they came for the politics, but the, really they stayed for the self-help because really what gets people, so people will will then like watch his lectures, like his Maps of Meaning lectures and and his analyses of the Bible and uh, his uh, – he's not, he's not fundamentalist Christian, but he, um, he really respects like the, the power that religion has in, in helping people find meaning in their lives. And also in his uh, interviews uh, on Joe Rogan, and they find his message so profound and effective for he- helping them finding meaning in their own life. And so that, that's that's kind of what he he's known for mostly is that people really look to him as sort of a, a as a guru that have has really helped them, especially young men, young men who might have been in the same situation that the Joker was in the beginning of a comic of just like spinning their wheels in life. Uh, he has a lot of messages that are really relevant to people in that situation. And a lot of people say that they've lifted themselves out of that situation from his message of especially personal responsibility. Great. Yeah. And just a couple of things before I forget, because I'm realizing I probably, for my listeners, haven't talked about Jordan Peterson before. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is just, so I know I won't use her name because I don't know if she wants me mentioning it, but I know a girl who, a woman who she was at one point, I don't know if she's still going through with this, but she was like, you know, Jordan Peterson's self-authoring, you know, that whole program of, you know, self-discovery and setting goals for yourself and, you know, that kind of thing, pulling your, you know, getting around the obstacles that you're putting in front of your own path, that sort of thing. And she was actually annoyed when the whole pronoun thing blew up because she was a Jordan Peterson fan before that. Mm -hmm. And so now because she had wanted to go into that and like sort of counsel people, be a, a life coach or whatever you want to call it, using that, is a part of the toolbox. And now it was like, Oh, now people are just going to think of him as this, you know what I mean? So it was funny how to her, it wasn't like she liked George because yeah, he's sticking it to the SJWs. She liked him for this other stuff. And then this was more of a distraction. And then, and this is true that when I, the reason I'm saying this, Dan, is that I wanted to diffuse that. Cause I know a lot of people, Oh, you just, you guys like him cause he hates women. And, you know, and that's so unbelievably wrong. And this is, this is one example where I know I'm not just saying that ex post, Tom Woods had Jordan Peterson on his show the first time because of the pronoun stuff. And I, this was a period where I was making really long road trips when I was in Texas going back and forth. I was like in the car, eight hour trips one way. So I was going through podcasts like crazy. And I actually skipped that episode. Like I, I gave it a couple minutes and I was like, I don't really care about Canadian pronouns. And I, and I, just, I didn't even listen to it. And then it was only later when I started listening to his Peterson's going through the Bible lectures that I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is saying stuff. I've never heard someone trying to like use modern psychological concepts and he's using like Freudian things and, and analyzing the old Testament. Who does that? This is amazing. So, so yeah, it's certainly not a, oh, he's standing up to the SJWs and that's why you guys like him. That that's for at least me, that's not what it is. So that's, and as you say, I mean, 
if we could just take a minute and I don't know what your response is or how you handle it. Where, where did this come from that, oh, Jordan Peterson's just making incels comfortable, like trying to reassure them and he's like pushing massage. I mean, I, I would say no one, I mean, I'm being dead serious. Is there anybody on earth right now who has done more to try to turn like guys who may have grown up to be violent incels or whatever you want to call them, like social misanthropes who just, Oh, no one's the world doesn't get me in the world. that I'm just going to go down in a blaze of flames or whatever and write my man. I would say if anybody has prevented more of that, it would be Jordan Peter, you know, it would be him. So it would seem like people would be so glad that he's doing it. And yet he's attacked on the opposite grounds, he's fueling that stuff. So anyway, I'll stop there. But can you comment on that? I mean, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, it, it probably goes back to the whole politics thing is because it is a double-edged sword that like the more controversial stuff is what got him on a lot of people's radars. And then they, um, but then they, they really stayed for the, the deeper like meaning in life type messages that he has to offer. But at the same time, for some people, for the the other side of the aisle, the controversial political stuff makes them deaf to the greater meaning messages that he has to offer mm-hmm. because um, because they just see him as as an enemy. And so it the the nature of politics it just makes them want to misinterpret him. I I, I think I, I think it's just it makes them want to. Um, to find any kind of reason to um, paint him in a negative light. Let me throw this out there and see if how you feel. It occurs to me that maybe what's going on, like so to not just say, oh, there's this guy that's blowing up and he's really famous and we don't like some of his messages. And so therefore, how are we going to take him out? Let's just spread this completely scurrilous, you know, myth that he's a misogynist or something, you know, like, well, I think maybe is it partly more the way Jordan Peterson is going to appeal to these young troubled men who, you know, aren't good with girls or whatever phrase you want to use. Oh, I'm always in the friend zone. And these women, they like a-holes. And I guess I, I guess women want me to just be an a-hole myself. Okay. If they, you know, that kind of stuff and that you go down that self-destructive spiral and I'm such a nice guy and they don't appreciate that. And you've seen how that stuff plays out in social media. It's, it's awful and everything about that. Um, and so maybe the way he appeals to them and then gets them to like look to him for guidance is he initially empathizes with them. Like, like I understand what you're dealing with. And yeah, it's not, you're not nuts. You're not a monster. If there is something to your frustration. You're not just crazy, but here, let me show you a better way to deal with it. And let me really explain to you the big picture of what's going on. The world's not out to, you know, so is it that initial olive branch and trying to empathize sort of like, if, if a Ron Paul type person says, well, you know, maybe these foreign countries don't appreciate us occupying them and bombing their, their weddings, you know, and oh, so you, you're for terrorists then Ron Paul, it's okay to, you know, take down the twin towers. Is that what you're saying? Is it something like that where just to try to empathize with people to see, to diagnose what's causing this social pathology, whether it's, you know, school shooters or terrorism, and then some people view that as no. If you take even one inch towards trying to understand where they're coming from, you're condoning their behavior. I think that's part of it because I, I think it's it's very similar to the way people reacted to the Joker movie itself. It's just that, mm-hmm. um, it, w- which again is counterproductive because, in, in my mind, 
you need to understand the motivations. Like, like people are worried about like making the character too relatable and making the motivations like too understandable. But if you can't understand the motivations, then there, there's no way of actually solving the problem. Like if, if you just write them off as just like wholly irrational and just wholly inexplicable and, you know, it's just just something to uh, stamp out with violence or just with crushing it. I mean, it's the same thing as like, like you mentioned terrorism that that right. like, you know, a lot of people when Osama bin Laden was uh, big in the news, people didn't want to like think about any kind of motivations that he, he might have, because like once you do that, then it seems like it's condoning it. And it's like you can you can recognize that people have certain motivations and then their response to that motivations is wrong and wholly bad at the same time. And so similarly, it's like with, with someone like, like Joker, if you can identify with how someone who is lost could go down a dark path, then that's progress because if you can reach them while they're still just lost and, and haven't, gone down the, the, the path of atrocity, then you can actually prevent the, the atrocity. And a, a lot of it is like recognition of suffering because again, like suffering was a big part of Joker's story in the comic book that, that I write about because he had his like one bad day that set him down the path of nihilism and resentment and, and, and evil. And similarly, like Jordan Peterson recognizes suffering in his audience that even even people who are currently wallowing in resentment that it is resentment over real suffering and sometimes it is like real injustice and so so it, it doesn't do any good to to deny that but then again it all comes down to how you respond to that because as Jordan Peterson would say that if you respond with nihilism and, and resentment, then the suffering is only going to compound. But if you respond by taking responsibility for your life and for the, the impact that you have on, on your life and, and take responsibility for how you, you might be contributing to your own suffering, then that is the path to redeeming suffering. And that's his message. That's his message to, to young men. He's not telling mm -hmm. them to wallow in resentment. He's not telling him to to blame women or or to blame you know society or to or, or to even blame liberals. He he's telling them to take responsibility and rebuild their lives that way. And yeah, and so I, if if you really look at it, it it's like like you said, it's that's the way to actually prevent tragedy. It's it's not by completely demonizing human beings because that's that's a big part of Jordan Peterson's message is that he he talks about how we need to recognize that we human beings are made of the same basic spiritual stuff as like mass killers as even Nazi prison guards that mm -hmm. like, that everyone has the capacity for monstrosity in, inside them and so to to deny that is really reckless in managing your own life, because if, if you don't recognize your own capacity for monstrosity, you might actually fall prey to it. But it's, it's also counterproductive in dealing with other people too, because if you don't recognize that people who can go down a monstrous path 
are actually humans and, and have basic human motivations, then you won't know how to stop them from going down the path of monstrosity. Folks, let's take a break from my discussion with Dan Sanchez to talk about what you can do to make a difference in helping get this podcast out and about. And what I want to just emphasize is you have the power, right? Just like Jordan Peterson would tell you, don't just sit back and wallow in your misery. Oh, what can I do? I'm so weak and ineffectual. No, no, no. You know, plenty of people, maybe it's not this episode, but surely one of the episodes you've listened to, because this show's kind of got a lot going on, that it would resonate with your friends, colleagues, coworkers. And so go ahead and share it with them. That really does a lot. Right now, trying to get more and more people listening to it and sharing it, that's really the best thing you can do if you like the show and want to help. That's what you can do. Appreciate the support, everybody. Yeah, you raise a lot of good stuff here. So, folks, this is BobMurphyShow.com slash 72, where I'll put lots of these links. What breaks my heart, Danny, is that there's libertarians who just, you know, oh, yeah, Jordan Peterson, he's, you know, like, just dismiss him like he's this punk and, you know, he's not a serious scholar. And in some of them, I, I don't I don't know why they're, I, I guess because they want to show that, you know, they're even keeled and they're not just reflexively right wing and anti s or something. I don't, I don't know. Like they're trying to distance themselves from the more reactionary libertarians, I guess. But there's so much there. And yeah, he, I mean, because he originally, or part of how he got into this stuff is he was just wanting to understand like how the, the level of evil, like in the Nazi concentration camps or in the gulag and how did people get into, you know, because the Germans were a very civilized people, you know, with a lot of contributions to art and culture and everything. It's like, how did they turn into what we just say is like literally the worst thing ever? You know, we try to, who's the worst guy ever? Oh, Adolf Hitler, you know, that kind of, or some, you know, Christians might say Judas or something, but you know, so how could the Germans have, and he goes in there and yeah, he, he says you have to recognize that each of us is, we're paraphrasing here, but recognize that, had you been in those circumstances, it's very entirely possible that you would have been a concentration camp guard. I don't know if you saw it, Dan. There's this hilarious meme. It shows Jordan Peterson applying for a job and the, and the HR person says, so what would you say is your greatest weakness? And he says, well, I would be capable of being a concentration camp guard in Nazi Germany. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's that element. He has a thing too where, um, he, I'm, again, paraphrase, he says it much better, but something like, people who think they're just real nice and harmless are extremely dangerous. Like you need to recognize you're a loaded weapon. And especially like if you're a parent with children, you need to realize you could really screw them up depending on how, you know, how you treat them. And if you think that, Oh no, I'm just a nice guy going through life and I'm not offending anybody. No, actually you're, you're weak, but it's not actually that you're impotent. You're actually sending out, you know, your interactions with other people are really destructive and you need to realize that and once you realize your capacity for evil, that's what allows you to be good. Mm-hmm. So, I, do you want to? Re- I mean, because you you've heard him lecture and, and so forth. Do you do you want to comment on any of that? Um, I can't think of anything else to add. I think that <laughs> <laughs> I know you nailed it, Bob. All right, covered it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then, how about um? Let's see here. So, well, what one thing he, I'd like to add mm-hmm. is just about um more on the responsibility angle because there's a couple other characters in my article that I, that I haven't gone into yet. Um, and, and they're, they're sort of like the polar opposites to the Columbine shooters and Joker on one end. Mm-hmm. And, and that is Batman obviously as the opposite of the Joker and the opposite of, of a Columbine killer is the, the Russian writer, 
Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Um, mm-hmm. he, he is the author of the Gulag Archipelago. And what Jordan Peterson says about Alexander Solzhenitsyn that, that makes him so heroic is the extreme extent to which he embraced personal responsibility. Um, because he wrote, or not, he didn't write it, but he, um, he was developing the ideas that eventually went into the Gulag Archipelago uh, and developing in, like the insider research, so to speak, inside uh, a Gulag. Like he was, uh, yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's correct. So he wrote it in his head. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't mean to sidetrack you, but yeah, I mean I think that's what, like he was saying. Like you'd be surprised how much you could remember if that's all you're doing. You know, you're wow. just like doing what the prison guards tell you to do, and you're writing something in your head. You'd be amazed how much you can remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what really transformed his life was that in the gulag, as Jordan Peterson said, that he had um, every excuse to himself fall into uh, a nihilism and uh, resent, resentment at existence itself um, because the world would seem really unjust to someone in his situation because he was thrown into a Soviet gulag by his own countrymen. And he also got cancer, like while in the gulag, mm-hmm. cancer. And so, you know, you might think that someone like that would, you know, shake their fist at God and the sky and reality and society. But he did the opposite, that instead of focusing on blame, that he he focused on self-improvement and responsibility, that he actually asked himself, what did I do to contribute to my current plight? Like, what did I do that that could have led to this? Like, not only, you know, how I might have, like, ended up in, in the gulag personally, but, like, he used to support the Communist Party in mm-hmm. uh, in the Soviet Union, and so there was a small part, but it was he he contributed to like the creation of this prison structure that that he l- later got trapped in, and so he spent his time in prison doing a moral inventory, just going over his life with a fine tooth comb and just thinking about everything that he did wrong and how he could do better. And that's how he spent his time in prison. And that's how he survived because he noticed that that's how other people survived, that there were some people that the gulag just absolutely broke them. And then there were some people who actually uh, were able to conduct themselves in a really heroic and noble manner, like actually helping people and making the situation, uh, redeeming the situation as much as possible. And he noticed that the type of people who were able to, to go the heroic route, that they were the ones who took responsibility. And so, th- so that's what he did. And that's not only how he survived, but that's how he then went on to become like a really influential writer. The Gulag Archipelago by itself played a huge role in turning the Russian populace away from communism, uh, of, of recognizing the, the monstrosity of it. And so Instead of using tragedy as an excuse to resentfully perpetuate tragedy, he redeemed it by using it as motivation to prevent tragedy and to save people from the fate that he had to undergo. There's still political prisoners in Russia 
but probably a lot fewer than had Solzhenitsyn never never done what what he did because he did play a pivotal role in a big change in Russian society. And I, I just think that I just thought that it was very similar to Batman. That that's that's the way that Batman is different from the Joker. That unlike unlike Joker and unlike the Columbine killers, Batman didn't yield to resentment, even though he very well could have, because the character, like his parents, were murdered right in front of him when he was a child. So he he like Solzhenitsyn had had every excuse to just wallow in resentment his, his whole life. But he did the opposite. He he undertook profound responsibility to save other people from having to endure this the same kind of suffering. And really that's that's what makes the difference between people like Joker and the Columbine killers on one hand and uh, Solzhenitsyn and Batman on the other hand is that when they suffer tragedy, that instead of going in the direction of resentment and nihilism, that they go in the direction of meaning and responsibility. Yeah, great, great stuff there. And by the way, just if anyone hasn't read the Gulag, it's, I mean, I knew what it was and I had seen read excerpts from it, but it wasn't until just this last year that we had a reading group with some of the guys at Texas Tech. And uh, as bad as you think it was, folks, it was so much worse. Like everything, and I don't even just mean the physical things they would do to you, which again, it's as bad as you can think of. It was worse, but just, you know, like the way to get in there, someone had to condemn you. So like they would grab your spouse and torture her to make her say you were an enemy of Stalin when everyone knew that's where it was coming from. You know what I mean? It's just so perverse, like everything about that. It's like, oh, <laughs> like to have the, you know, the, 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 the pretense of justice when it was like, what, but why do you need a confession? You all know it's being coerced. Yeah, but we just, because. Like that, that's, to me, it's because that made it worse. Mm-hmm. Like it was more horrifying that way as opposed to just grabbing someone and saying, we're going to torture you for fun. But no, because you're an enemy of the state. Well, how do you know? Because we tortured your wife until she said you were. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like, oh, gee. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, what you were getting at there, and I realized where you, you're, uh, you got to go soon. That, that's really what I wanted to hit on. So that's the whole premise of your of your article is, you know, how Jordan Peterson's philosophy, you know, would stand a chance at least of reforming the Joker or if he had talked to, is his name Arthur in the in the comic book too? No. The Jokers? No, okay. He, he doesn't have a name. It doesn't say? Okay. You know, how, if, if Jordan Peterson had gotten a hold of that guy, you know, before his turn to the dark side, as it were, you know, maybe there would have been a shot. And that's kind of the thing. And this goes back to what we were saying originally, you, just lecturing him and saying, oh no, killing people is wrong. That's going to bounce off the Joker or someone who's, I mean, because they know it's wrong, right? And part of what's driving it, I think, is they can see, well, no, not apparently if the president orders it, then it's okay. So, or if a police officer, you know, kills someone, then it's okay. So what are you talking about? No, it's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Or at least that you you say that to little kids, but then you don't follow through with it. So why shouldn't I kill people if it gets me what I want? You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So just standard platitudes, especially coming from hypocrites, is going to bounce off of them. Whereas somebody who, you know, acknowledges the suffering and saying, yeah, the stuff you're, you're the pain you experience, it's real. But you know what? Everybody's going through that life. You know, so let me ask you this. Sometimes I almost think Jordan Peterson's a little bit too bleak. Like, in, in, like to me as a Christian, I was like, yeah, life is going to carry suffering with it. But, you know, God's going to do something with it. There's a reason, you know, that, and he can he can turn it to good. Whereas Jordan Peterson almost, it sounds like he's saying sometimes life is suffering. Like, like, that's what it is. You know, suck it up. 
bucko. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As opposed to life contains a bunch of joy, but also, yeah, there's going to be suffering. Don't kid yourself. Right. Right. Although, although there's, there's a little bit, sometimes he does. And maybe it's like an exaggeration to prove a point where sometimes he says like life is suffering as opposed to life contains suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he also has uh, a chapter in his book where he uh, called um, pet a cat when you see it on the street uh, of just like, you know, taking the opportunity to, to enjoy life, to especially right. to enjoy the, the, the little beauties of life. And when you say book there, do you mean the 12 rules? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 12 rules for life. One, one thing I, I realize I haven't mentioned yet is that Jordan Peterson is a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. So, so he's not, he's not just a pundit, just. Um, right. And he, he taught at Harvard, you know what I mean? So that's, it, it blows my mind when people are just dismissing him as all this punk. It was like, well, you know, say what you will about the ivory tower. And I know certain libertarians, you know, critique it, but it's not like Harvard teaches someone to teach on this stuff who is a complete buffoon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, the guy has credentials. So it, it cracks me up when Facebook keyboard warriors assure us that Jordan Peterson doesn't know the first thing about psychology or what, you know, anyway. Um, it also, I like him because he's, he's not just real abstract, but in terms of, you know, a simple adage, when he says, okay, you know, what, what can the practical, you know, what, what's your practical advice to somebody say, clean your room and stop telling lies. Mm-hmm. Like that's amazing to me. <laughs> those two things, you know, either by themselves, but those two things, I think, yeah, if, if, if most people, including myself, you know, did that, that would be amazing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm not saying that flippantly. Like, I think if people who think I'm just being goofy, like, no, I want you to stop and really consider what, why he's saying that, what he means. Yeah. Um, Cause so many people, go just say things that aren't true that they know aren't true. And then he clarifies when people push him. Jordan Peterson doesn't mean stop saying things that you think are right. And I think are wrong. Like the, you know, female male wage gap or something. He means right. stuff that you know is not true in your value system. And you're going around saying it for personal advantage or convenience. Stop doing that. Cause it makes you weak mm-hmm. when you do that. Like it chips away at you and your integrity and power and whatnot. Yeah. Um, how do you feel? Cause sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that the, um, cleaning your room is, has become like one of the big memes. Like it's been like uh, a, a really viral meme about Jordan Peterson is this notion of, of cleaning your room. And it can stri- strike a lot of people as, as a strange bit of self self-help. It seems like a really low bar, but um, his point is that sometimes you need to start with a low bar. Like right. it, in order, like you can think of your messy room as like uh, a manifestation of chaos and that tidying up your room is like creating a little corner of order in your universe. And then once you've done that, th- then you feel stronger. Like you feel, you know, th- things are, are make more sense in your immediate surroundings. You, you feel more capable because you actually did something, even if it was a small thing. Mm-hmm. And so then you can graduate to um, tackling a problem that's a bit more complex and, and a bit more of a feat to accomplish. And then you can grow out from there. But a big part of that is focusing on what you can immediately control, like focusing first on yourself before you try to reform the world. Yeah, exactly. And so, so that, that's one thing that I think a lot of people in the young generations can really benefit by is that, you know, you have young people who want to, centrally plan the economy who want to like a voice in how 
the economy is centrally planned, something like infinitely more that, uh, complex than their room, and yet they can't even keep their own room clean. And so, so it's this notion of like, like first work on yourself, then elevate to different spheres of competence that, that like after you work on yourself, maybe you can work on your relationship with, with your spouse or, or with your siblings or with your parents. And then, and then after that, maybe you could work on uh, your relationship with your colleagues at work. And, and then maybe you could work on your, on, on uh, your role in your community. And then once you master that, then you can start to worry about, you know, being a, a leader in a political sense or, uh, and, and, and really participating because the alternative is oftentimes a lot of frustration a, a over futility because ultimately people can't centrally plan the economy. Like even if they'd like to, like they, they, they don't have influence, that kind of influence. And so when you're constantly worrying about the things that you have no control over, then you you feel like you're going nowhere in life. But, w- but mm-hmm. when you w- focus on things that you can control, then you can actually steadily progress through actually making a difference. Yeah, and that's great. And I, and I ran into that. You're right that that's like a common way to make fun of Jordan Peterson. When I was sharing your article, Dan, on the Joker and you know what what Jordan Peterson could tell the Joker, that was a, a boom on Twitter and on Facebook right out of the shoot. Some wise guy said, "Oh yeah, he'd tell the Joker to go clean his room." Ha ha. And someone said, and to be um, secure in his white male privilege, and so then maybe he wouldn't find the need to kill people because he'd realize he already runs the show as part of the patriarchy. And, and they the part they weren't being ironic. Mm-hmm. They meant you know it was some feminist who was saying that like to say how much she hates Jordan Peterson. This article's stupid. Um, and and so yeah, just to elaborate on where you're, you're right, I, I, Jordan. He, I've seen him say elsewhere things along the lines of you, you know they, these. These and I got to work on doing an impression of him, so I'm not going to do it right now. But I, I I know there can be a great impression done of him because he's got such you know unique mannerisms and, and ways of speech. But he saying there's all these young people who want to tear down social institutions and things that have been around for thousands of years, and yet their room's sloppy, you know. And and to be clear, it's not that Jordan Peterson's looking at their room because how would he know? And saying, oh gee, I wish you would make your bed. He's saying, you know when you look at your room in the morning, you feel depressed and you're like, you know, if I had a whole day to deal with this, I would do this, this, that I can't deal with that right now. Uh, And you go and you leave. And so the point is fixing that, like you're saying, Danny, that yeah, it would be something you can control. You'd have a sense of agency, but also that would make you feel better. And probably the bitterness and resentment that you're carrying around, you might not even be aware of it when you did it, that might help soothe that a little bit. So then maybe you would be a little bit more sympathetic and not just say, Oh, something's happened women get paid less than men. It's got to be because of these evil men, because one time a guy, you know, grabbed me on a date and therefore all men are evil, monstrous pigs. And let's, you know, you might just be a little bit more mellow if you had more control and order and stability in your life, which you can control, you know? So anyway, I I realize we're cut up on the clock here. So again, fascinating article, Uh, folks, it's bobmurphyshow.com slash 72. I'll share Dan's article on the Joker and Jordan Peterson, as well as some of your other stuff and, Uh, related materials. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. Thank you, Bob. I really enjoyed it. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.